wonderful promise today. It's not simply a promise. It's a reality for many of us here today. That we've been gathered back to the homeland of the Word of God and the promises of God are true and real and yes and amen. But Lord, we know there's even a bigger picture than that because one day you'll gather us back to that home. Lord, to be with you forever. Lord, we're looking forward to that time and we thank you for this privilege of serving you today and just asking that you would Bless us now in your presence. Let your anointing just break every yoke. Take fear and doubt and unbelief out of our lives and cause us, Lord, to, to walk in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God until we're a perfect man in Christ. Lord, I pray for your children everywhere, Lord. May they hear the voice of the Son of Man and live today. May they rise up, Lord, from the places that they're in. Maybe some of them in darkness. But, Lord, find them wherever they are. Bring them back home to know you, Lord. I know there's moms and dads and brothers and sisters and, Lord, different ones that are crying out, Lord, because they know their loved ones are out there estranged from you. And they, want to, they want you to reveal yourself to them. May it be today, wherever they are, that you knock on their heart's door, that you reveal yourself to them and only as you can do it. Lord, that you can get a hold of a heart, that you can change a life. Lord, I know there are husbands, wives, different ones, Lord, even children that are crying out for their parents. Lord, don't, we don't want to leave one behind, not a hook. So we pray, dear God, that you'll do that work of grace. Reach out and get them, Lord. Bring deliverance to the house of God today. Wherever your people are around the world, may you just minister to them. We're here for service. And we're here to give our best. We're here to surrender our all. We're here, oh God, to speak as an oracle of God. So I stand here today yielding myself to you, knowing that I can do nothing without you. So we're just asking that you minister to us and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. Be in his presence, amen. Sing the songs of Zion. I love that song. I'll bring you back home, my children. Amen. I believe that there has been a work of grace in this day to bring his bride, his elect people, back to the land of promise. Amen. It's so good to be with you and you to be here with us. We miss those that are not here, but we pray that they will receive a special blessing today. We're going to read from Daniel chapter 12 again today. It's a scripture that I have been ministering on in the last little bit, but I want to uh, go beyond that today into some things that I really um, want to share with you as the Lord has been dealing with my heart. We pray earnestly and, and um, put our hearts into every service, so we're believing that we're here right at the scripture where we need to be this morning. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time, that same time. 
And at that time, thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. Aren't you glad your name is in the book? And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end, and many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Amen. God bless you. Can be seated. We're going to be speaking here today as we look here at the people of the book, and we're going to be speaking on our, the battle for our position. Because uh, we have been commissioned and called and ordained in this age and been given a promised land. But like Israel was, when they were given a land, they found it possessed and inhabited. And they had a job of uh, dispossessing the adversary and taking possession of the promised land. So today we're going to be speaking along that line and we see again that Michael stands up or he arises for the purpose of deliverance. It is um, uh, during a time of trouble such as never before, and I believe we are, have arrived. These things were prophesied in the scripture and spoke about an end time, and I believe that we are here. And uh, we also know that in a few chapters before, for your reference, it would be chapter 10, that there was a war in the heavens and there were angelic battles that were going on where Gabriel fought against the prince of Persia uh, in order to get revelation to, to Daniel. Daniel was, was searching in the books to be able to find out what was to be done in his hour. He knew the time was at hand. He knew it was a time for the people to leave Babylon and go back to their promised land. And so he began to fast and began to pray and began to call on God. And, um, and it was uh, 21 days that he prayed and he wouldn't give up. He kept persevering. And we always need to take admonition from that because we know when a promise of God is there, you don't give up on it. You keep seeking and keeping on seeking. You keep asking and keeping on asking. Knocking and keeping on knocking. You, don't, you just don't knock once and, well, he didn't answer, so you give up on it. But no, you, you hang on to that promise. Uh, Jesus told us it was like the unjust judge um, and the, the widow woman that come to him to say, uh, Advince me of mine enemies. And so um, he said, I, I don't fear man, and I don't even fear God. It was unjust judge. But he said, this is what I do fear. I fear this woman will wear me out by coming. And if I don't adventure of her enemies, she's not going to give up. So I'm going to adventure of her enemies. And this is what he taught us to do, to pray and not to faint or not to give up. And, and so, um, in the, if we just could realize that uh, if we stay believing, holding on to a promise, we're going to win the battle. Amen. Amen. Now, we, we know from the reading that we just read that only those whose names are written in the book will be delivered. 
And in this time, the wise shall shine as the stars or as the sons of the Messiah. And those who know their God shall do exploits. And we, we can look back in the biblical histories and we can see men like um, Abel or Enoch or Noah or um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, men who shone as the stars, amen, that they were the bright lights in their age and their time. And he tells us in here that this end time people is going to shine just like they did. Amen. That they will persevere in their days and their hour just as the sons of the Messiah. And that they that know their God will do exploits. And so it's a time of trouble, but yet it's also a time of deliverance. And this deliverance includes a resurrection. And of course, we New Testament believers know by the further revelation of the scripture that the alive and remain also at the coming of the Lord are to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And um, so, again, this is, this is something that we know. There's not just something done for the dead, but for also those who are alive and remain will be changed. And we also notice that this book is sealed until the time of the end. So the words of the prophecy were not meant to be understood until the last days. And it would be at the last days that, uh, that the book would be opened. So we can see it is alluding to the fact that there will come a, an end where the book will be opened. It was a time of sealing, of, of hush, quiet. It's not through this time. Go that way, Daniel, rest in your lot. But um, there's going to come a time of fulfillment. And I'm thankful to know we are in an hour of fulfillment. Where all the word that has been pointing to this day and pointing to this hour is now being fulfilled. And so it is during this time, though, that angelic wars began. And I, I want to really uh, capitalize on this. We've been speaking for some time on the angels and the angelic influence, and, but we also want to realize that this is a time of war, where that there are battles that are not just going on the earth, although angelic wars uh, become human battles, but yet at the same time that there is a disturbance in the heavenlies, where that there are things that are happening bringing about these end-time events. It's not an accident. We're here where we are. This has been pre-planned and predestined of Almighty God, and you are predestined and pre-planned to be right here in this hour, in this time for this great battle. And so in this great battle is where angelic wars begin, where Michael arises to to bring an escape in the time of trouble. Now, this, this uh, parallels many scriptures. It parallels in times events of the Lamb taking his stand. Uh, of Revelation 10, 1, the mighty angel standing on the land and the sea. They're standing. All of these things are symbolic representation of the rising, the moving of, uh, the, of God as he moves about bringing this rapture, this deliverance that is promised. 
Now, we can see by natural evidence in natural Israel, Israel that uh, how that nothing short of the miraculous, but by heaven's decree and by intervention of angels that, but that Israel, Israel is the bride's natural counterpart. Israel is in her homeland now after thousands of years. How was it that she was gathered back to that homeland? Is nothing short of the miracle working hand of God and the tender hand of Jehovah? Brother Branham would parallel them. He said it's the tender hand of Jehovah leading them back to the tree of life because they have to be in their promised land in order to receive their Messiah for the two prophets to come to them. And we have to be, as a people, uh, also uh, people under the tender hand of Jehovah, called out of the denominations, rooted up from our homes, the churches we were in for hundreds of years. Our families was there. Maybe your family owned, owned a pew there, or they, uh, they were charter members, or they were in this denomination, or whatever, and you, you had to leave from there. Why was it? Because they had turned them into... Uh, into a holocaust. They had come there into concentration camps to where that your soul was starving. And you you know, but yet it was a tender hand of Jehovah leading you to the tree of life, putting a hunger in you when others would die there, when others would perish there. God had something better in mind for you. And that was to bring a word of deliverance. And that word of deliverance would bring you to the tree of life. Amen. Back to the promised land where you could receive your Messiah, where a rapture could take place. You see, a rapture couldn't take place in the denomination. It couldn't take, a resurrection couldn't take place there. God had to call you out back to the land to reveal to you the real Christ, the son of the living God. This is what God had to do. And all of this has been in this last age and as natural Israel types the spiritual bride who has returned to her ancient homeland as the people of the book. And this has been our theme for some time because it is the unsealing of the book, the revealing of its seals that gives us our rights to take a position in the land. You see, this was... Um, the ancient proof that was given to, um, the, the, to Israel when they, when they found, when there was a little Bedouin boy, Bedouin boy threw a rock down into a cave and, and heard a, a, a seal break, amen, and went in there and found the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Amen. This gave them the, this gave them the book to the land or the title to the land. This was our people. We were here before anybody else. This predates the Muslims. This predates the Catholics. This predates all the other churches that want to hang on to the holy sites. We were here first. This is our land. God gave it to us. It's written in the scrolls. And I'll tell you, the opening of the book, it shows our inheritance in the land. This is our land. This is our scripture. This is our message. There are others that want to lay claim to it, but it belongs to the bride of Jesus Christ. My name is in this book. 
This is my family heritage. This is where I descend from. This is my anchor in the land. It is the proof that I've always been here, that I lay claim to this promise, that my fathers were, were there, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. My fathers were Peter and, J- and, and Paul and, and, and all the other disciples. My father was Jesus Christ. Amen. It goes back into the Old Testament. It is that was me there in David. I have a claim to the land. We are just now celebrating uh, Memorial Day and God bless all the veterans that have stood and helped to bring freedom to this land of America. And God bless you for your service, those of you that have. And, but however, you know, we have now a woman in the White House. Her name is Kamala. She has no ties to this land. Her family, one come from, from uh, what was it, Jamaica, and another from India, and she was just born here and got, uh, got the right to stay, and, and um, maybe her parents had become naturalized, but she has no ties to Lincoln. She has no ties to Washington. And, and this, this week, it was notable that when she sent out her tweet, she said, have a happy long holiday. Nothing said about our troops. Nothing reminding and remembering the men who had died so we could have holidays. You see, she has no ties to the land. Amen. Her fathers didn't help get this land. Her, her grandparents didn't help get this land. Amen. They have no vested interest in this land. They wasn't, she wasn't freed by Lincoln. She has no attachment to our heritage. And I want to tell you there are people that are claiming Christianity that have no attachment to the book. They have no attachment to the promises. They have no attachment to the man of David or, or Daniel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. They have no attachment to Peter or Paul or the, the books of the Bible. They don't find their identity there. They find their identity in a social club rather than being their identity written in the book. They don't rejoice in the wars that are won. They have no appreciation for the freedoms except the freedom to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, but we have an attachment to the book. We have an attachment. We have a connection there. That was my father. That was my God. Amen. That was was him that became flesh and dwelt among us. I have descended from him. I am his child. This is my land and my promise. When it speaks of a rapture, it may not mean anything to anybody else, but it means something to me because it is speaking of me. Amen. It is my promise. When it speaks of healing, maybe everybody else discounts it and says, well, we don't believe that. Days of miracles are past. It is for you because you have no attachment to the book. Now, you see... It is the unsealing of the book 
the removing of its seals that gives us our rights to take our position in the land. Because it opens the book, breaks the seals on it so we can see our identity with the promise. Now, our kinsman, as we see in Revelation 5, is handed the seven-sealed book of redemption, and it is handed him from the original owner. We lost possession of this great title deed book when Adam sinned. And he lost his position of sonship, and the book then went back in the hands of the original owner, which was God. But now Satan contests it because he says it does not belong to us. Because of sin, we sold out to him. So he claims that there are liens on the book, or liens on the title that keeps us from possessing our inheritance. Now, and of course, since Adam did this and sinned and lost his position of sonship and surrendered his title of, of, of the, to the land, that there has been a squatter on the land since that time, and that's the devil. Satan has, does, does not own the earth. It does not belong to him. And what I wanted to say, I also want to put Satan on notice this morning that this body is of earth. And it doesn't belong to the devil. He has no right to it. He is only a squatter. And we're only here at a time where he can squat because we are at a point of the jubilee. And the purpose of the breaking of the seals is to fully give inheritance back to the sons of God. As noted in Revelation 5, we see that the lamb does not keep the book for himself, but he takes the book and he removes its seals. And then in Revelation 10, you see a transition of the book from, from heaven to earth. And I want to I get it back to you. The, the title deed has now been brought by the anointing of the mighty angel down to earth. Where that you can be a possessor of the title deed. Now, this, this is shown as heaven moves and as Revelation describes another mighty angel with a rainbow over his head whose countenance is like the sun. This covenant angel Christ coming as the messenger of his covenant. And he is seen descending with this book that is now open. And he positions his feet on the land and the sea. You can see he is claiming possession. Now, Satan is a squatter. He doesn't legally own title to you or to this earth. Let me just make it clear. You never originally belonged to the devil. God had first claims on you. Amen. Long before you ever even breathe your first breath here, you had a beginning with him in the eternities because you began in the very mind and the thoughts of God which are eternal. This gives an eternal quality to all of God's elect. That remains that you are not just a time being, but you are an eternal being. 
and as an eternal being, you are like Jesus who said, I came from God and I'm going back to God. I fell from a position because of sin, but I'm going back to where I come from. Amen. I am, I am only here sojourning through this time of mortality, but I have a greater future than that of this mortal realm. I have a future in the eternals with my God as an eternal son of God who will never die who will never fall, amen, fall away forever. One who, whose fall was only temporary because of redemption, he has come to restore us. Now, Satan is a squatter. He doesn't legally own title to you or the earth, but he possesses it right now. Even if he doesn't possess your soul, you're born again. He no longer possesses your soul. No longer does that dark shadow, that spirit, as Brother Brandon would say, you have a trouble, it's cancer. But you got a deeper shadow than that, and that you are, that, that is you're a sinner. You see, we were all sometimes darkness. But now we are light in the Lord. Is that right? Amen. As Brother Brandon would see as they were healed, I see it turn light around. You see, they were sometimes darkness. But then they were light. When redemption comes, it, it is the day star, the sun, as the sun shining into a, a darkened place and is bringing the light of the glory of God. Amen. Oh, my. When You know, that they, the, the morning, the Bible speaks of it as the wings of the morning. Amen. When the sun rises, you remember what it was like when the sun rose in your heart. Amen. It diffused the doubts. It diffused the fears. It, 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 um, it, it revealed the sin. It exposed it where well, you could get rid of it, where Satan had no place to hide. The, the, the time of your, your past darkness now fled away as the, as the light shone and the wings of the morning began to show its rays of lights. And, and there, you know, the morning came and dawned within your soul as the day star, the sun rose within you. The S-O-N of God. Now, Satan is a squatter. He doesn't legally own title to your earth. He doesn't own title to this earth. But he possesses it. But I want to tell you, and I want to remind Satan of his final place. Revelation 20:10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Here you're in, though, Satan. You may be a tormentor today. You may be a squatter today. But I'm telling you about your end. The devil deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen. I don't know how long that will be, but I know he'll eventually come to an end. Satan will not be saved. No, sir, he will be tormented. Listen, amen, I, I don't know how long he'll be tormented, but I'll tell you, as long as he has tormented the earth, he will be tormented 10 times more. Amen. Now, so again, as we look at this, Revelation 20, 14, and not only that, but his instrument, death, and hell, or death 
and the grave were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Amen. Amen. Why? Because they don't belong here. Now, in Revelation 12, Revelation 12, he is seen in the heavens. I'm talking about Lucifer. Having a place where he is ruled there now since the fall of man as the accuser of the brethren. Now, for thousands of years, he has contested man's rights to the earth, including the earth of his own body. It was the prayer of Jesus, and every saint prays the same way as Jesus taught us to pray that, that thy kingdom come, God's kingdom come, again to the earth where God's will will be done in this earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Now, I, right now, I can't control all the earth out here, but there is this earth, this body that I have, amen, that I can say thy kingdom has come. It is the Holy Ghost. It's where he is the king. And where he is the king, God's will is done in this earth just the way it would be done in heaven. This is the striving of every true believer to give God that kind of preeminence in their earth. Now, there was in the Old Testament some laws that were set forth that reflected God's great plan. One of them was the law of Jubilee. In the Old Testament, if a man through indebtedness lost his inheritance, the squatter could only hold it until the year of Jubilee. In other words, he could take it for a time. He's just showing you the squatter has a time. Amen. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, why is it that after the bride is gone that all Satan's venom is poured out upon the remnant of the woman's seed and upon the 144,000 and, and upon, the, upon the Gentile church that goes through the tribulation. Why is that? I said, because the Bible said that Satan is cast out and he knows he has but a short time. You see, he has but a time. I want you to understand you're not a time being. You're not temporal. You will be here throughout the eternal ages when Satan is no more. Amen. Come on now. You are here. You predate him. And you, amen. You predate him and you also will be here long after he's gone. Amen. amen. And you can look at your sickness, your trouble, your problems, the things that you face today, and you know they're only temporary. But you're not temporary. Thank God we're not temporary. Amen. Amen. We are not a people who can be conquered or defeated, but we are people who are undefeatable. Now, when the, when the jubilee trumpet sounds, it's time to throw down your hoe and return to your inheritance. As we have spent some time on this, I've shown you that this is where the day of Pentecost fully comes. It is the Pentecost of Pentecost. As we have explained that the seven weeks after the Passover, then comes the, then comes the time of Jubilee or the time of the 50th day, which Jubilee means the 50th. 
And so when the jubilee trumpet would sound, it's time to throw down your hoe. And it shows us and it's a time of the sounding of freedom. And if there's anything that this message should do to you, it should be a sound, a trumpet call of freedom. Amen. That today you can lay down your hoe. You can drop your shovel. Amen. You don't have to turn one bit of soil more for the devil. You work no more for him. You're not his slave any longer. You are not in bondage to some of his denominational systems. You are a free people. You have been set free, and he that the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. Now, this is shown in type from Calvary where Jesus died for 50 days. The resurrection was questioned. You know they questioned the resurrection. Amen. For 50 days, you know, people could wonder. Some who had not seen him could wonder. And, the, and the, it was questioned. Satan said he didn't raise from the dead. He still says today he's not alive. He even, he even paid the soldiers to say that the disciples came and stole away his body by night. The thought of it was, you know, it was just another creed of, of new denominations starting up. And, and you know, you, you look at all of this time since then, the signs of his resurrection. We, we have longed to see that. But we're living in the hour where the signs of the resurrection has been manifest. But now there for that 50 days or those seven weeks after the Passover and the resurrection, there, there were many that could question it. There were many that could ponder and wonder. But on the 50th day, on the day of Pentecost, the legal owner came down and showed it was more than just a new creed. A new denomination starting up, another same old ism of Judaism, or another Phariseeism, or Sadduceeism. It was more than another ism. It was the filling of the Holy Ghost that burst sons into the, in, the, in houses of earth that was once enslaved by the devil. Men and women, boys and girls who had been once slaved, enslaved by the devil, whose members defied God, whose hands did evil, whose eyes ran to do evil, whose, whose, whose thoughts was on evil continually. Men and women who were born enslaved to sin, that day got liberated. Not only were they liberated, they were birthed by the Spirit of God. And then bodies that once served the devil that was a slave to sin whose hands were left to do an evil. Now they were, their body, the members of their body are yielded to do righteousness. That was God's earnest money to his church. And it showed it would not be controlled by organizations. It would be the earnest of the baptism of the Holy Ghost with power and love of God. But I want you to notice it was the earnest. In other words, it was the first payment. Which means there comes a day when the full payment is made. Where one had partial redemption, another age finally comes to the time of full redemption. And in this redemption, possession of their land, of their promises. 
Now, the Holy Ghost, of course, is when God possesses you. It is not rules and regulations passed down by bishop or a pope, but by the spirit of the living God living in you. Now, as I told you about my dream the other day, I'm bringing and drawing a lot of inspiration from Christ is the mystery of God revealed, where that where Brother Branham tells us that God's great plan was revealed first in Christ in order that he might get the preeminence in the church by bringing his life into a people. And I want you to understand in, in our Christian walk today, we, it must be Christ having preeminence. Now, when we say that, we do not mean a church having preeminence or a pastor having preeminence or rules and regulations of that church having preeminence. You see, people by church governments can be made to do a lot of things. In fact, the matter is church governments permit or, or, or prevent some people in the Amish Mennonite community from driving a car or it prevents them from driving a red car and they can only, they can only drive a black car with a, with a black bumper. Or, you know, it gives regulations on what kind of clothes that they will wear. And in order to, to do this, you see, they are not converted. They are actually ruled by church governments. Now, the idea that God has in this end time is not to rule you by pastoral rule or church governments. Like a lady, you know, or a woman actually came to the church one time and she said, you know, I think Brother Tim is a reasonable man. I think if you sisters would all go to him and talk to him real kindly and nicely, that he'd let you wear pants. <laughs> and he'd allow you to cut your hair. I'm sure he's a, he seems like a nice man to me, and if you'd all go to him and just you know, talk to him reasonably, he would agree to that. But you see, I didn't make the rules. And I'm not the government. And I'm not the enforcer of the government. Amen. The enforcer is the Holy Ghost. He abides in you. Amen. And he there is the rule of your life, and he tells you what's right and wrong, for he leads and guides you into all truths. But you see, denominations wants a man or a set of rules to give you that if, you, if, you, if you're in these boundaries, you're safe. You know, you're going to go to heaven with the rest of us. This is where your salvation is tied to a church. But our salvation is not tied to evening like tabernacle. Our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. If we leave from here and go to another place somewhere, you know, we will not be lost. Amen. We don't have to be here to go in the rapture. Amen. You, you don't have to come here to get the Holy Ghost. It's not the requirement. Amen. Your requirement is to meet Christ. Salvation is in Christ alone. It's not in obeying church governments. 
That means you can, you can come along and you find the rule is, well, among these women, they don't cut their hair. Well, I'll never cut mine. Well, they wear their dresses on. Well, I always wear dresses. Uh, you know, they don't paint their, well, we'll, we'll, we'll throw away our, our paint. You know, we'll, none of that saves you. None of that saves you. There is only one place of salvation and that's in Christ and Christ alone. And you can tell if he's your husband by your obedience to the word. But you see, denomination puts a rule of man over man and man can change the rules. But I can't change God's rules. Nice a man as I am. And thank you for the compliment. But I can't change the rules. I can't change what God says. Now, so you see, the Holy Ghost is when God possesses you, not rules and regulations passed down by a bishop or a pope, but by the spirit of the living God dwelling in you. Amen. I, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, this is why I refuse to be people's Holy Ghost. If the Lord don't convict you, well, then, you know, I, me, me going and making you do it is not going to do it. Amen. You're going, it's going to have to be a revelation of Christ personally to you. In Christ, the mystery of God revealed, Brother Bradham told us that so many people have got the wrong conception. And they do. To convert people to Christianity and his government is not God's thought at all. You say, well, we make converts to Christianity by his government. That's not it. Well, we're, they're, not so, they're not supposed to drink. They're not supposed to lie. See, these are rules. We don't drink. We don't lie. We quit doing this and we don't do that. And he said, do you know the Mohammedans can outshine you? You know the heathen in Africa, them black men, they got laws among their tribes that outshine anything you can produce in Christianity. Now, but, he's, but it's not that. You see, it's not an organizational life of laws and mandates where you have to try to conform to the rules of the church, but it's God making himself known personally in every individual. Every person where Christ has the preeminence in you. Now we know when he has the preeminence is because when you come subject to his word. Right? Amen. But he said we're not supposed to make converts to Christianity by government. But by revelation. The Christ in you as God was in Christ. As God was in Christ, Christ in you. How did God come into Christ? He came into him. First, he prepared him as a body, and there at the River Jordan, he comes, fills him with his life. Is that right? So what God did in Christ to fill you with his life, he does the same thing as he did with Christ. When God did that in Christ, Christ does in you. What signs God did in Christ, God does in you. Christ does in you. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, my. I like that. At that day when this that's this day. At this day when this revelation is made known, you will know that I am in the Father and the Father in me and I and you and you and me when the revelation is made manifest. 
At that day you will know that I and the Father are one. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And then when the revelation comes forth, then it's I in you and you in me. Now, he's not talking about a doctrinal revelation. He's talking about the revelation of Christ personally you in the new birth. An experience where you meet God on your own. Are you with me? Now, that day on Pentecost was God's earnest money depositing the baptism of the Holy Ghost until full redemption um, of every son of God, and then there would be a resurrection and a change in the great jubilee of jubilees, and that's where we are. The trumpet is sounding for that jubilee of jubilees. You hear the trumpet. I know what it said. It said, come out of her, my people. Look at Israel. They heard a sound. They heard a trumpet. And them Jews from all over the place, they heard it said, come out of her, my people. Come back to your promised land. Come back. Amen. Amen. Here we are in the jubilees of the jubilees where the book has been taken by the Lamb. And not only have we received the earnest of our inheritance, but we're receiving the title to full redemption. We have something that they didn't have at Pentecost in the book of Acts. They had earnest money. We are receiving the fullness. Now here in the Jubilee of Jubilees, where we are receiving that full redemption, mysteries that have been sealed become open because the angel of the covenant, the pillar of fire, we know what he did, the one in the Old Testament, that he became the lamb and the lamb as a man claimed the book and now as in the last day at this Pentecost, at the end of the seven ages, the church is receiving the book and the title to their inheritance. The title to the inheritance of truth of of the one and living God, the name of God. Amen. Not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but the name given and revealed. Amen. It's important that the children know who their father is. So now the title to eternal security to the believer where we are sealed to the day of redemption. The title to eternal life showing there is no eternal life in hell. No one burns eternally there. The fire is eternal because God's a consuming fire. But as far as eternal life, only in God dwells immortality. So no one can live immortal without the immortal life of God. So therefore, only God dwells in immortality, so we know the souls that sinneth shall die, the Bible said. There comes an end. Amen. Now, but however, all of these mystery truths, and I just named two or three of them, and one reason for that is because where I was studying, that's, those are the three that Brother Branham mentioned, so I just mentioned them. But I, I just want you to know that all the mystery truths that are laying in the scripture, all of, of, the, uh, of the definition, the landmarks of the promised land. 
amen, have now been revealed. And we are living in a time where we can see the full scope of everything that God wants us to possess. Are you with me? Now, looking today at modern Israel and what is happening there, the enemies of Israel so perfectly type Satan as squatters and they are insisting on possession without title. But I want you to notice that every time that we make a claim on our inheritance, Satan is just like there in Israel. There is a riot. There he is there to riot, to hurl bombs our direction. But God honors his covenant and continually defends his people. Although it seems all the world is against her, and I assure you, all of hell is against this bride. All of hell has assembled against you. Fact of the matter is, he even has more in his, in his arsenal in this day, in his army, that there are, there are 300 million more demonic spirits. If you really got to that, that, that word 300 million is really not 300 million. That's King James Version for a large number. It's an innumerable number. You can't count how many demons have been allowed to come into here to make Satan's Eden. And he's using every tool at his disposal. Come on now. He's coming in every direction, in every voice to keep you from hearing the true voice. Amen. There's all kinds of voices going on and the din of it is louder and louder. That's why you young people, you've got to hear the voice. You can't just be hearing the voices of Hollywoods and your video games and, and caught up in, in a realm of a fake world, in fake news. Amen, you gotta come back to the real gospel and hear his voice. Because if any man will hear my voice, I will come in and I'll sup with him and he with me. You gotta come to the place where you're hearing, where you're listening. Do you hear the trumpet sound? Do you hear the jubilee saying, you can go free? Because there'll be a people that actually refuse to hear whose ears will be bored with an awe. And they'll never hear another jubilee trumpet. There's a line that can be crossed. Oh, thank be to God, he saved us from that line. I was drifting deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. You were too. Very deeply stained with sin, seeking to rise no more. But aren't you glad there's a master that reached down for you? These squatters in the land of Israel, they insist on possession without title. And so it is it with Satan. He insists on possessing, though he doesn't own title. And, but, you know, but, but again, you can see that plainly the protection of the Lord and his love uh, for us that he continually shows that he will not allow his bride to be defeated. 
They have sworn they would push Israel into the sea. And they have yet to do it. And the devil has sworn that he will destroy us. As he did in ancient Egypt, they're pushing the Israelites, trying to push them in the sea. But in that moment, God made a way through the sea. Now, God uses his ministry like an like a armed military to take the land that he has given us to in his word. And you look at Israel, you can see the mighty hand of Jehovah. The rebirth of Israel is so genuine. It's such a genuine miracle, and the rebirth of the bride of Jesus Christ is nothing short of a miracle. I want to, I want to get something to you, you, you people that have come up a little late. This message was founded on miracles. It began with the miraculous hand of God showing us the possessions of the Word of God. And it's going to end with the miraculous hand of God as God raptures the people out of here, changing us, amen, with a massive divine healing from the top of the head to the sole of the feet. This message began in the miraculous. It's going to end in the miraculous. Amen. And let me just tell you, it is now working in the miraculous. It's not just something future and in the past. It is a present because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the I am, the I am God. That's who we serve, the I am, the ever-present God, ever-present water from the rock. The rock would follow Israel, and remember, it was always in speaking distance. That rock was Christ, and he's always in speaking distance. Even in your murmurings and your crying and in your wanderings and your troubles, he's still there. Speak to him. Out of him will come life-giving water. But it's nothing short of a miracle. It's because God is fighting our battles or we wouldn't exist. You know you wouldn't. If God hadn't been fighting your battles, look at the mess you'd be in today. Yes. All you have to do is look around just a little bit. There's your friends or some of your siblings or somebody else. All you have to do, you don't have to look very far. And you can see the mighty hand of God was on your life. He watched over you from the time you were born to now. He brought you by his tender hand to this place today. You are not here by accident. You're here for a predestined moment. You have been handpicked, amen, when God chose out the seeds before the world began as to what seed he would plant in an age. He reserved you for this time. Amen. No matter how weak you may feel, maybe, maybe how, 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 how um, uh, unloved or uncared for you may feel, how insignificant you may feel, I want you to know this God had plans for you before the world began, and he placed you right here in this age, in this time, for this hour, for this moment, to overcome all of the gates of hell. And he'll take a week and press down and bunch of people who could have never made it on their own. And he'll take it, he'll make something out of them when they could have made nothing out of themselves. 
1948, within the hours, within hours of Israel's declaration of statehood, the moment they proclaim to be a nation, tens of thousands of soldiers from six Arab nations armed with state-of-the-art British and French weapons, they came and they were arrayed against an Israeli army that was made up of high school students, women, men, the majority who had never seen a battle, who never had a day of real training, much less genuine battle. 45 million Arabs were intent on pushing 400,000 Jews that were there bunkered on a little tiny strip of land that comprised only one-eighth of one percent of the 6.1 million square miles of Arab lands, and they were bent on pushing them to the sea. There was hardly anybody that gave Israel any hope. She'll never make it. And I just want to quote to you from Psalms 124.1, because this is true of Israel and it's true of you. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now may Israel say, let's repeat it again. Maybe Israel here this morning, spiritual Israel, here in your pew right now, maybe you'll say it with me. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now may Israel say, well, man, if it had not been when the Lord was on our side, when men rose up against us. They had, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. All of Satan's forces, all the powers of hell were anointing men. It would anoint men like Stalin and Hitler who would heartlessly kill the Jews. A man who would take up babies and little Jewish babies and out of their mother's arm and dash their head up against a wall. Dr. Death, who would stand there and take a young athlete who had a little problem with his foot and come in for examination, who was there in their concentration camp. How did you get to be an athlete? I'm a, I'm a runner there, and I've been I've trained for the Olympics. Okay, we're going to give you a little something to sleep here while we check your foot. And they take him and dissect him piece by piece. The experiments that they learned on the Jews and they did on the Jews is a part of what makes up a large part of our, uh, of our uh, of science that we have today in medical terms. Right. When you go and get an operation, think of you. Are you with me? Amen. When you look at Israel, you know, if it had not been that the Lord was on their side... They would have swallowed them right quick. Millions against 400,000. Think of that. You know, all of these millions, 45 million Arabs. And I want to say, if it had not been that the Lord was on our side, as demons fled, as blind eyes opened, as cripples walked, and cancer screamed for mercy, then, and, and then it was that denominational theories would give way. 
through the name of Jesus Christ. Don't you realize if the Lord had been on, not been on our side, where would you be today? Some of you would still be wandering around and around in the confusion of the past. Amen. You wouldn't be where you are today. But for the grace of God, God was on your side. And when you look at Israel's existence, you have to know it's because the Lord is on their side. When you see our existence in this evil age, when you see all of hell is against us, it has to be the Lord is on our side. God is fighting their battles. But he's using them to do it. Uh God's fighting our battles too. But he's using you to do it. You are his soldier, his feet on the ground. Now, come on, quit, quit murmuring about your heavy load now. Quit murmuring about your heavy army. Quit murmuring about, oh, this problem, I'm, I'm in this fight. Take the hill. Hold the line. Don't retreat. Quit murmuring and complaining and saying, this is my battle. And I'm going to win it. It is a battle for my position. Amen. I will not be defeated in this. Amen. I will not complain. I will not get depressed. I'll keep the right attitude toward the promise. Amen. I'm going to press the battle harder than I ever have a sword. That's an invincible sword. When it's held with the hand of faith. And I will believe in that sword. I'll believe in it enough to quit using it as decoration and press it to the heart of the enemy. It's been a battle, hadn't it, Sister Phyllis? See, you're not in your head back there. She's rejoicing because she can see again. It's been a battle. But isn't the victory sweet? Don't tell me he will give us sight to the blind. I'm a witness that he does it. Don't tell Darrell Ward that, that, he gives, that he don't give sight to the blind. He's a witness of it. Amen. Amen. We ought to be witnesses of how great our God is. How miraculous is his power. I got to hurry. I got a lot on my plate. Now, God is using you to fight these battles. God is using your battles too. He's fighting your battles too, but you're his army that he dwells in. Remember, this is where he's fighting. You are the boots on the ground. He's already shown you he's led in the battle. He's went ahead and he conquered hell, the grave, and every sickness. Now you go get your Goliath. That's your job. He held up his head. Come on. Like David did, he held up his head and shook it for the rest of them to see. This is why he had to cut his head off. Amen. Amen. He couldn't just leave Goliath on the ground. He had to show all of Israel. Amen. The man was dead. So he takes his own sword and he cuts his head off. Is that right? Then he holds up that head for all of Israel to see. This is what God did at Calvary. He took the head off of the devil 
He took the head off of Goliath, who, called, who, who, was, who was Lord over the grave, over, the, over hell, the grave, over death. Come on, somebody. And he rose up. A mighty conqueror, and hell holds the head of death up. And he says, now I've conquered this Goliath. You go conquer yours. You got a Philistine to chase off. You got land to conquer. Every one of you have got an inheritance in the book if you've got your name in the book. But guess what? You've got to say like Caleb, give me my mountain. This is my mountain. God gave it to me. Brother Branham said in this, let me read this quotation. This is from putting on the whole armor. He said, God makes his self-presence in his army. You believe that? Now, God said, I sent them the word. Eve just walked right over the top of it, disbelieved it. I'm, God said, I made it manifest, and they crucified it. I'm just getting tired. I'm coming to myself. So here he come. God in you, God above us, the pillar of fire, God with us in Jesus Christ, God in us, the Holy Spirit. Exactly what I dreamed about the other day, my weapon, the inspiration. Christ the mystery, God in Christ, Christ in you, taking us back to Eden. Same thing. And I said that equates with the same sermon. Never thought of it before till that dream. But that equates with the same sermon. God above us, God with us, now God in us. So God above us, the pillar of fire, God with us in Jesus Christ, God in us, the Holy Ghost. No more trusting in anything else. God come down himself. Amen. Amen. This was a man-sized job, so he brought it down. He's talking about Calvary now. He didn't trust that with Moses, Elijah, any great prophet. But he come down himself. They won't have nothing to do about it, but just let them now surrender themselves to me. And I'll walk in them. I'll talk in them. I'll speak in them. I'll work in them. I'll do the work. Uh, just let them be humble. Let them. That's, that's it. You can't do it in yourself now. You're no match for Satan. But if you just let God do it, get the word in you, then it'll all be taken care of. Now, God fortified his army with what? Himself in the form of prophets, apostles, teachers, pastors. What did he do? What was God doing? Listen, did you ever think what the offices of the church is? It is God's dress, inside dress. An apostle, a prophet, a, te- a, a seer, foresee before Satan ever gets to it, doesn't told it. What is it? It's God dressed up in his church. Amen. These offices is God's dresswear. When you see those offices of pastors, teachers, evangelists, what is that? That's God's dresswear, God's presence, God's spirit working through man. Amen. Now he said, if that man denies any of the words, you know that ain't God. Because God cannot deny himself. But now notice here again, you know, there, there it was. I'm just reading about Joshua going into the land. How did he do it? Put the word on the shoulder of the Levites and let them lead the way. Amen. Put the word, let the word go before you. Let the preachers carry the word. And you follow the word. And the waters are going to open. Now, the other day, did you know Hamas fired over 4,000 rockets at Jewish communities? 
But over there in their little control centers, Israeli women soldiers, I kind of like it, women soldiers. Not that I'm far women going to war, but just equating this. Taking women soldiers, and they sit at ease with a button release. And they release powerful missiles to shoot down the incoming missiles of the enemy. And it produces a shield of protection against the enemy. And when you get this little woman soldier, come on, this little bride of Christ, you get her sitting behind the word, amen, and in prayer, there she's releasing the missiles against the attacks of the enemy. It produces a shield of blood, a shield of protection against the enemy. God has equipped his people with powerful weapons so that even the weakest among us are able to shoot down the missiles that Satan continually launches. And we're not just dodging missiles. But this victorious bride has taken back her land. Amen. Amen. That which was ours before Satan's attack in the Garden of Eden. I want to say, oh, what a warrior our God is. He's a warrior God. Spiritual Israel is under attack also. Everywhere she's under attack. But our God's word is a perfect missile destroyer. And no weapon. Can you hear me? No weapon. Let him go get Satan's best. Let him try something new. Let him come from another direction. Amen. But no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. This is the heritage of the saints of God. What is the fight over? Why in the world? I mean, you know, people are saying, well, why won't big old Israel leave poor old Palestinians alone? What is the fight over? Well, let me just say here. Back in, 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 in the 1940s, the United Nations gave the largest part of Israel to Transjordan, including half, half of, of, of Jerusalem. Actually, they had all of Jerusalem until they took it, half of it from them. But the Palestinians don't want that land. They want what Israel's living on. Although they gave the majority of the nation, the land that belonged to Israel, to to Jordan. And made the state of Jordan. They don't want a place there. You see, Egypt could easily give them a piece of land there, but they don't want that land. They want what Israel has. What is the fight over? And you may wonder, what in the world is the fight over? And I'll just tell you, it's because Satan wants the place where God has chosen to put his name. Now, and where is that? It's Jerusalem. Start this for me. Or what do I have to do? 
Oh, she starts it. I wanted to show you a few little things here. And, and, and I wish the people online could see this too. I don't know how that can happen. But I want you to see this. You see, the fight is over where God has chosen to put his name. And 1 Kings eleven thirty six, Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen me to put my name there. So this is where that, that at one time all men were to come to Jerusalem to worship. This was the place of sacrifice. Amen. Now, there, there is a scripture in the Bible that is called the Shema. And it is, it is the scripture of Deuteronomy uh, 6 and 4 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And literally that means Jehovah our God is one Jehovah. There's never two Jehovahs. There's no, not, not Jehovah, God the, there's not God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. There is one Jehovah. And he became in his sonship by creating a body and fathered a body and come and lived in it. And his name was a given name. It was given by the angel himself. His name shall be called Jesus, which is Jehovah the Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. So this time Jehovah's coming as a man. He's coming to fight human battles. He's the Lord of glory. He's the man of war. He has been fighting for the people, but he's coming now to take on flesh to fight it in human battles, to defeat sin and darkness for them. So you see the words, the word here in there, the word hero Israel, it begins hero Israel. This becomes the word Shema. Oh, there's a whole sermon. Maybe I'll preach on it one day. I've got some notes put away on being the ability to hear. But Shema means to hear. Hero Israel. The Lord thy God is one Lord. Or the Lord, your Jehovah is, our God is one Jehovah. The Lord, if you see it in all caps, when you see that, that's Jehovah. Amen. In the King James. Amen. Now, so this first verse of the Shema, this is called the Shema, Hero Israel. The Lord thy God is one Lord, or Jehovah our God is one Jehovah. Now Jehovah's Witnesses and some message revisionists say that Jesus was not God. Shame on them. Amen. Most post-Catholic denominations, including the Catholics, believes that Jesus is just a second person of the Trinity, of God's. One God in three persons, or three persons of one God, that is a Roman Catholic invention. Here it comes back, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He's not two Lords. He is one Lord. Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New. That is the direct revelation that is given to you in this day to destroy the devil with. That first of all, you know who your God is. Amen. You you know, uh, 
Some people have said, who do I pray to? God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost? Or do I give them equal time? You know, when you realize that he, that it's one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Amen. That, that, so it takes away the pluralities of God and shows that God is one God. Now, so this Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New, Jehovah the Savior of the New, the same God who was manifested in the pillar of fire, who is the same God who came flesh and went back to the pillar of fire. I came from God, the pillar of fire. I returned back to the pillar of fire. When the pillar of fire is asked who he is, I am Jesus. Now, Again, that is my name. That is who I am. I am Jehovah the Savior. Now, ages ago, ages ago, the Hebrew children chose the letter Sheen to represent the unspeakable name of the one and only God. Kind of looks like a little bit like our letter W. So this letter became to represent uh, you know, of all of the Hebrew alphabet, which happens to be the 21st letter of the Hebrew alphabet, there are, there are here, uh, to make 21st, there has to be three sevens. Seven is completion, and God is complete in sevens and perfected in threes. So it's not three persons, but it's three manifestations of the same person. So if you look there, that is not three, three distinct Letters, that is one letter with three different strokes of manifestation. So now, again, you know, keeping that in mind, that, you know, keeping that in mind. Now, here's what we want to show you here on this, because this is beautiful. That right here, I got a map of Jerusalem. And, and in, in what makes up Jerusalem here, is three distinct valleys, very significant valleys within the city of Jerusalem. And one of them runs through the middle of the old city. It's the Kidron Valley, and there's the Hinnon Valley and the Tyropian Valley. These three valleys here are there in, in Jerusalem. And I, I want you just to see here that when you lay the letter when you lay the letter over there of the name of God that represents the name of God, right in Jerusalem is the Shema or the Sheen, which is the, the 21st letter representing God, and it is shown here in the three valleys that make up Jerusalem. God literally, amen, when he formed the world, he took his finger and he marked right here and he put with his finger there and he marked out valleys right. that would symbolize the name of God. Here is where in all the earth I'm putting my name. Amen. Now, this is incredible as you think of it because, again, that the very city has upon it the name of God. Now, watch. This city also has three mountain heads. 
The city has the city of Zion, Ophel, and Moriah. Those are the three mountain heads there, and it represents, again, one God in three different manifestations. Not, not, it's, it's not three cities, it's one God. Now, notice again, as we, we look at it, before the full revelation of the New Testament and revealing of Christ, these names were already given to the mountainheads. This isn't a recent invention. But I want you to notice in the first one is Ophel, which in Hebrew means my fortress, my tower, my stronghold. This is who God was known in the Old Testament. God above us was known as the fortress, the tower, and the stronghold. He is Ophel. Are you with me? The Lord is my rock. Jehovah is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. So this mountain here is one of the, the, one of the, the peaks or the uh, mountain heads of the same mountain. Also on that mountain is the Mount Moriah. It's called Moriah in its peak, in its mountain head. Moriah, we know, is the place where way before then, God sent Abraham out with Isaac to offer him. He had to go, was it three days journey? Something like that to go there. It wasn't just any place. He wanted him at a certain place, and he saw the place from afar off. No doubt he had seen it by vision. And he carries with him his son, and he's going to offer his only son. Remember, he, you know, Ishmael has been sent away, and now Isaac is his only son. In fact, this is the only son God ever recognized. He never recognized Ishmael at all. He said to Abraham, take thine only son. Because the child of the bondswoman is not to be heir with the free woman. Neither is the child of denomination to be heir with the bride. Because she's a child of the bondswoman. Are you with me? Now in Hebrew, the name Moriah means to see God. Now let's stop here for a minute. Let's look here what happened. Here again, Abraham goes up this mountain. His son is packing the wood. Just like Jesus will pack his cross. Amen. Amen. Many, many years later. Amen. Because God is acting out. Listen, he needs somebody. You think it's cruel. God say, go slay your son. And God don't even slay your son. But he's going to have, God don't even receive human sacrifice is what I meant to say. But he said, go and sacrifice your son. I've got to have a type. I've got to have something to foreshadow this. And you are the beloved father. And now you have a son of the promise. Because it's a miraculous son that after Sarah could not conceive, I gave you a child, so it's a son of the spoken word. And I changed your body in order, it's a son of the miraculous. It's a son of the word. Now won't you there take him up there. Now he gets up there and he said, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said the Lord will provide the sacrifice. He lays him there upon the altar, and it was there 
that God spared Isaac and revealed a lamb, a ram that was tied in the thicket by his horns. Is that right? Showing us we should have been the one who died. But God took our place by becoming the lamb. Are you with me now? So he takes and he types all of this out and and he calls this Jehovah Jireh, this Mount Jehovah Jireh, the Lord himself will provide a sacrifice or in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And I want you to know Moriah is important because Moriah here is expressing something very great. It, It means to see God or to be seen of God and it was in Jesus Christ in his manifestation of sonship that we saw God. And that man was able to look God in the face. Thomas would be able to kneel before him and say, my Lord and my God. Amen. There they they would recognize him as Jehovah himself. Come on, somebody. Because of Moriah, it was where God was seen. Come on now. Amen. And where we see God face to face, man to man, and that is where God is with us. So you have Ophel, which means God, God above us, my fortress, my high tower. Amen. Now you have Moriah, which in Hebrew means to be seen of God or seen of God, where God was seen among men. Hallelujah. God with us. Amen. Now the last one here is Zion. The last of this mountain head is Zion. And it means the mark or the sign, the pillow, the pillar. And you know what Ephesians 1.13 says, that after we believe we are sealed or we're marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And because it's the mark of every born again believer, so God in us. So he places his name in Jerusalem. And and again, it's it's Ophel, God in his fatherhood. Moriah, God in his sonship. Zion, God in us, the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God. Amen. And his name is placed there. And the only name that is given unto men whereby men might be saved is the name Jesus. Who came in his father's name. So the father's name was Jesus. The son's name is Jesus. And the Holy Ghost's name is Jesus. And there ain't three of them. There's one. Now there you are. So this is what all that fuss is about. We want the place where God puts his name. Can I have just a little more time? Okay. Well, you know, okay, I, I know I'm guilty. I, I preach a button sermon every once in a while. I'm hoping it won't be a button sermon this morning. <laughs> but I want you just to see, hear what, all the, what is all the fight about? What, what is our battle about? In 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3, let no man deceive you by any means. 
For that day shall not come except there come a fallen away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So here again we see the very, the very plan of the Antichrist, and that is to be sitting in the temple being worshipped as God. I want that place of worship. You see, it's supposed to be in Christ, but I want it for myself. This is where it happens. This is where organization starts up. That's why we got 45 million today, organizations, denominations. is because in every one of them, every little man wants to be God. Now, so he says, I will be worshipped. I will have preeminence. Remember, this is the whole thing of Christ's mystery. When God can get preeminence in a people. Amen. Amen. And now here's the fight. Colossians 1 and 18. And he is the head of the church, or the body the church, who is the head, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. So the battle is all about satanic preeminence. Trying to keep you from your sonship. So now what was the fall in heaven? Satan wanted preeminence over the sons of God. He wanted worship. What was the fall in the garden? God in his word was to have preeminence. Is that right? And Satan uses a serpent to get headship and preeminence over the Eve. And thus he got headship over Adam and he took positions over the sons of God. And we were everyone born in this condition. We were born dead to God and alive to sin. Will you turn with me to Ephesians 2 and 1? And you as he quickened, that means he made you alive. Because you were actually born your first time dead. You were dead to God and alive to sin. You were dead in your trespasses and sins where in times past you, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation or our conduct in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the atmospheres that ruled over us, made us do it. We were the children of wrath, even as others. But, oh, I'm glad there's a but here. But God, who is rich in mercy, amen, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, he hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ, resurrected us with him, for by grace you are saved, and he has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he has enthroned us with Christ. This is our real position. His grace gives us a seat of dominion. Enthroned with Christ over the desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, and and desires of the mind, the changing of our atmosphere, being from sin with its doubt and unbelief. 
So what is the physical fight over? Let's go back and look at Israel for a moment. Israel, they are the original owners given by God to possess the land. Nobody else has God ever given that land to. Muslims, Catholics, Baptists, you know, Greek Orthodox, all of them that's got their little churches built here and there and, and squatting down on holy places, it is not theirs. Amen. Israel are the original owners given by God to possess that land. And you look at the history, the Bible proves it. The Dead Sea Scrolls reveal it. And they show Israelis, uh, Israel's ownership of the land. Let me just say it this way. The Jews controlled Jerusalem 1,500 years until about 70, uh, 70 A.D. Then Rome took it. And they controlled it to 600 A.D. Then the Muslims could, took control, holding it to 1,100 A.D. And then from 1,100 um, uh, to, to 1250, the crusaders with the Christians attempted to take it, control back from the Muslim and the power shift back and forth. In 1250, Muslim Turks gained control until 1917. So in 1917, the British gained control. So when you hear of the Ishmaelites, the children of the bondswoman laying claim to the land and the city, and the natural, that's the Muslims, in the spiritual, that's the Catholic and Protestants. Did not nominate all of them laying claim to be the place where God chose to put his name. That they own Jerusalem, and it's here all men have to come to worship. If you ain't with us, you're lost. That's the spirit of denomination. I'm allergic to it. You ought to be too. But I want you to know they're not people of the book. They are squatters on the land. All of them. Romans were squatters. Come on. Amen. The the others were squatters. All of them were squatters. The Catholics have been squatters. The Crusaders were squatters. The Arabs have been squatters. None of them are owners. There's only one owner, and that's the people of the book. And I want to just tell you, you know, other people, they may lay claim to healing or deliverance or this or that, but you're the owner. That is your inheritance. You have first claim on it. You have first claim on every gift. You have every first claim on every promise. You have first claim on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You have first claim on divine healing. You have first claim on any promise of the Word of God. It's yours first. Because you were there first. That was you and David. That was you there. Come on, you're not a Kamala. That was you there. That was you fighting on the, in Delaware. That was you there. That was you with Washington. That was you. Brother Branham was telling us that was you. I was there. I was there. And he said to be a Christian, I was there. Amen. That was me and David fighting Goliath. That's me today. I'll fight my Goliath. Amen. That was me and Moses. I held the rod of the name of Jesus. And I'll take that rod today. And I'll defeat any enemy. I'll call down heaven and strike the enemy till he's dead, dead, dead. Until he lets God's people go. That's me. Hallelujah. That was 
then Daniel and said, shut up the words until the last day. And I'm here, Daniel. I'm here to pick up where you left off. Because again, Michael has stood up. The lamb has stood up. The mighty angel has put his feet on the land of the sea. And I'm here. It's my hour. It's my time. It's my day. It's my moment. And that was me. I have a claim to this land. I have the claim for my children and for the promises unto them and to them that are far, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Hallelujah! I have a promise for divine healing. It's just as real today as it ever was because I serve Jehovah that I am God. It's mine. Praise God, it's mine. And I want to just say, they're not people of the book. We're the people of the book. Our names are written. We've been revealed in that book. At that day, everyone shall be delivered whose names are written in the book. And mama, that's me. I see that when the seals come open, I saw my name. That's my identity. I know who my God is. I know my father. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. And I was surely in Jesus Christ. When he defeated hell, I was in him there. You realize the bride had not been separated from the groom yet. And when he went down to hell, come on somebody. Amen. I went there with him when he died. I died with him. When he rose, I rose with him. When he ascended, I ascended with him. I am there with him enthroned as a son of God. I know my position. I know my place. And that's what the battle's about. My land. Oh, it's it's not very much. It's just one book in the massive world of man's literature, but this is not man's literature. This is God's literature. They can lay claim on Darwin. You can have him. Amen. Come on. They can lay claim on the edicts of the popes. You can have them. That's your land. Have it. Have at it. Enjoy it. But this is my land. It's not Muslim land. First of all, Muhammad never visited Jerusalem. You see, Islam landed in that land 2,600 years after the Jews were founded by Abraham. 2,000 years after Joshua established the nation of Israel. 1,600 years after David made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. 600 years after Christianity was founded there. And the Islamic Dome of the Rock was not built on the Temple Mount until 687 A.D. Long, long after Solomon put the temple there. The Jewish temple was there long before the Islamic Dome of the Rock laid claim to that land. It's not theirs. It was a place where God chose to put his name and where the blood was accepted to take away sin. 
For the meeting place is where the blood is. Amen. There's where we're going to stop this morning. Because I want you to see the battle that we're in is over your possession of your promise. And the higher you go in God, the more you go to take your position, the more you're going to be opposed by demon spirits. Some of you have made peace with the devil. You're content to stay where you are. You've traded a lot of land for peace. You're willing to give up promises so he'll leave you alone. You're you're willing to be slacker and Laodicea and have an apathetic view because you've never been revealed that you have a claim to the land. When I trace my genealogy back, I trace it all the way to the Pilgrim Fathers. When I signed up into Ancestry.com, I even can trace it back to the Cherokees when they owned the land that predated the white settlers. When I look into my genealogy, I can go back and I can see my seventh great-grandmother was John Adams' sister. And she was aunt to John Quincy Adams. I'm American. That's who I am. I have a vested interest in this land. My people fought wars in this land. To have the freedoms we have today. That's me as an American. But I want to tell you something as a child of God. You have a greater inheritance than that. You have a vested interest in every promise. Jesus is yours. Yes, he's yours. Let the musicians come. Amen. I'll tell you, if I go to preaching again, it'll be a button sermon. Amen. Oh, God, help us today. Let's look at the promise of God. Amen. Little sister come one time when I was preaching a meeting. And she said, Brother Tim, I said, I left you some candies on the desk today. So I left you some candies on the desk, you know, so you won't preach so long. You know the little story, you know, the preacher was going to preach a long time, and he got, or he, he had preached a long time, and, and they, the deacons called him in and said, well, why did you preach so long? He said, well, sir, he said, I always put a little mint in my mouth there, and when that candy's gone, I know it's time to quit. But today I reached in my pocket and I got a button. <laughs> she laid those two pieces of candy up, and I said, oh, Wonderful. I got one piece of candy is one hour and two pieces of candy for two hours. I can do it. Don't you love the Lord today? Amen. What a freedom we have in Jesus Christ.
Amen. Let's stand together. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. Well, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. Sing it, glory, hallelujah. Jesus set me free. Well, Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Well, Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus set me free. On my way to heaven, I'm shouting victory. On my way to heaven, I'm
rob his bombs your way because you're claiming a promise. Take that word of God. Amen. Put a missile in the air. Send it back to him. It's dust, saith the Lord. Amen. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved us. Amen. I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded he's able. Amen. God bless you. And so I'm casting all my cares on you. Thank you.